I want to see more stories of success, right? But also to characterize those successes, right. you know, in in struggle as well, because I feel like you know, success is 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 the tree that's that that is planted on the ground of failure. So there's so many different failures, and if we're only <laughs> telling success, we are definitely setting everybody else up for failure. Hello and welcome to the AOU podcast, Entrepreneur Leadership in Africa, where we explore more on being a bold entrepreneur leader. I'm your host, Savannah Oulo, and today I have with me Aishetu Fatima. Aisha, for short, is founder and CEO of Bossy Beauty with a background in global finance. She has an extensive rapport building some of the largest financial institutions we may know of. Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Lehman, just to mention a few. Today we tackle what you need as an entrepreneur to transform your passion into a profitable business. Do you know what makes you happy? What about what makes you angry? Well, join us as Aisha shares her experiences transitioning from the corporate into the entrepreneurial space and know it all as we uncover a whole new world from our diverse community of entrepreneurial leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, Join me in welcoming Aisha to Fatima. So Aisha, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, please tell us where you are and we'll start off on the icebreaker for the episode. Okay, great. Well, I am physically in Palo Alto, California. Right. And that's where I live with my family. Great. So I decided to start off the podcast with an icebreaker question, you know, just to make you feel a bit more comfortable talking to us. <laughs> so okay. if you're to put <laughs> So if you're to put your life out there and have it made into a movie, aside from yourself, who would you want to act as you? Oh my gosh. Ooh, that's a tough one. Um I think Genevieve Naji. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'd love right. to see her play me. All right. Why, why her specifically? I mean, she's gorgeous. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I feel like she is an actress who brings the right emotion to the appropriate scene. Right. So, you know, I find that she knows exactly when to go high, when to go low, and when to go moderate. Um, and I like that. I mean, I think she's really eloquent in the way she delivers her performance, and I think that she would you know, do my life justice, if I put it that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> Great. So now let's get, let's get into the podcast episode. And <clears throat> to start with, you transitioned from global finance into cos- the cosmetics industry. What drove you to yes. that change? Uh, it was a bit of a long process. It didn't happen overnight. Um, I, you know, I've been in finance for many years right. and appreciated a lot about it. Um, the access that it gives you, obviously the financial comfort, you know, the learning. I love the fact that it's really an apprenticeship career, so you learn as you go along. But I wouldn't say that it was it was ever my passion, but it was something that I, you know, enjoyed and I was good at. Um, right. But I think that, you know, having done it for quite a while um, and also as, as I got more senior, you know, had less time to do the things that I was really passionate about. Mm-hmm. 
um, and then just a lot of stress. You know, I was I was it's a really difficult time in Nigeria where, where I was working in my last role as a banker. Right. And um, I just decided that you know I wanted to step off of the rat race where I was building something for someone else and and constantly feeling tired and drained and burned out as a result. And I wanted to, if I was going to work that hard, I wanted to do it on my own terms and in my (laughs) own way. Um, And so I didn't have an answer when I left, to be honest with you. I I hadn't initially thought that I would leave banking to start a beauty company. I think that was the furthest thing from my mind, to be honest. But I did know that it was going to be something that I truly, truly enjoyed. Um, And so it was a bit of a process of discovery. I did this fellowship at Stanford. I took a whole year to really reflect on, to kind of deconstruct who I am unlearn a lot of bad habits, unlearn a lot of notions that I assumed to be true, and then relearn a lot of things. And it was really amazing to be in an environment with really young people um, who, who don't carry the baggage that I've had to carry over the last couple of decades of being a worker, um, to being in an environment with people who have fresh ideas and see the world really differently. It just, it was, it was beautiful for me. So I would say it was a process, um, and I and I approached starting a cosmetics company really as a consumer because I think that you know the best brands are are created and driven by by people who who are who are the consumer, who are the use case, and who are the ideal customer profile. And so yeah, that's kind of how I came to deciding that I wanted to sit at the intersection of my passion and my purpose. And I really wanted to work with ambitious working women. I wanted to create a product for them. Um, And then in the process of just figuring out what that meant, I realized that, you know, the actual widget that you create may not actually be your your brand. Um, it could be the way you deliver your brand message. And so in many cases, I, I look at we do sell a beauty product, clearly, or several beauty products, but what we are selling is women empowerment. We are selling, you know, the fact that we want to support women's journeys as they level up in their own careers or with their businesses, um, and we want to be a part of that journey, and I just felt like a beauty product was a really intimate way to establish that relationship with her. Right. So a lot of people talk about solving a problem, but not every problem is worth solving. What was your startup process like when you were starting Bossy Beauty? And what did you identify in the industry that you knew could do, you could do your best to solve? Well, I think this notion of a business always having to solve a problem is one that I'm still unpacking. Because if you think about it, you know, right. so look at a company like Nike and Adidas, they make sneakers. I mean, they, wear, okay. they make clo- you know sports clothing, etc. Let's just focus on their sneakers that they started with. Lots of people make sneakers, right? Are they really okay. creating a marginally different sneaker? I don't know, right? And to some enthusiasts, there might be, but their approach to the way they do things is incredibly different, right? And so, when I think about what we are doing, we are making beauty products, but I think that the we don't make them differently. I think that the way we approach a woman's beauty process is different. And so when I think about the process, are you know, are women okay. short of lipsticks to buy? No. 
Um, are there beauty companies that are really communicating with working women about the intersection between beauty and work? No. And that's what, that was the, the insight that I was trying to get into, which is, you know, I think that beauty companies today, particularly cosmetics companies, take a very superficial approach to marketing and selling products to women. And my view is that a woman is so multifaceted, so multi-layered, you know, there's so many bits and bobs to us um, as to how we even wake up in the morning and what, what, what clothing we decide to wear, how we decide to put our makeup on, what we decide, what products, what ingredients go into them, what the packaging looks like, do we wear red, do we wear this? There's so many things that go into it that, that ultimately show up to somebody who's looking at you as how you look but to the woman who's putting it all together you know there is like five thousand different brain synapses firing at once and i didn't feel like any beauty company was addressing that Mm -hmm. and i felt like they were treating us in a very superficial way and i wanted to address it very differently all right thank you so much for that um so were there any major challenges you came across transitioning from a predominantly corporate environment into an entrep- into the entrepreneurial sphere? And how did you overcome them? I think, you know, I think there are a couple of challenges. So the first challenge, honestly, is just having confidence in yourself. And it's so funny because, you know, I say, you know, Bossy Cosmetics exists to ignite confidence in ambitious women. But, you know, I'm also igniting confidence in myself as I go along because, you know, when I first wanted to start this company... Lots of people said to me that they didn't think it was a great idea, that, you know, it's such a saturated space. If you're not a celebrity or, you know, a a massive influencer with a big following, you just can never succeed. I mean, name it, it was told to me, you know, no one's wearing lipsticks anymore, just all sorts of stuff. So, um, or, you know, this whole lipstick feminism, women are only wearing lipsticks to attract men and that's the wrong messaging. And so there was a lot of, you know, very few people thought it made any sense what I was trying to do. And, you know, to be honest, that's the kind of thing that really excites me when people don't get what I'm trying to do. Um, and it challenges me to, yeah. you know, be a lot more succinct in my, in my, in my brand voice and my delivery and how we show up as a brand because, you know, hopefully we will get it right where people will see us and very quickly understand the differentiation. Um, and so I, I saw that as, okay, clearly I'm not articulating this well. I don't really, I'm not articulating who the ideal customer is and what the brand ethos is. And so it was a challenge to me to dig deeper, to dig deeper, to talk to the customer more, to really understand her way of thinking, understand what she has and what she doesn't have, what she's lacking and to what extent a beauty company can start to fill those gaps. Great. Okay. All right, so you're also the founder mm-hmm. of Her Story. Why do you think it's important to share these stories? Oh, I mean, gosh. I, you know, many people say you can't be what you can't see. And to a large extent, I agree with that. I think it's so, you know, when I look at someone like Oprah, I know that I can be, you know, bigger than I could ever dream of, Right. Um, Oprah has shown me that, you know, I put ceilings above my own head, less, you know, less so other people who put ceilings on me, right? 
And so I do think it's right, super right. important, particularly for for black women to see so for to see a very pervasive assumption around success that looks like us. But you know, I think that someone like Oprah, someone like myself, being a success is not only something that appeals to to, to other black women. It appeals to women of color, it appeals to white women, it appeals to women in general, it appeals to men. You know, one of the things that was most amazing for me to observe when we did African Her Story was, you know, somewhere between 30 to 40 percent of our videos were watched by men and they loved it. And so I think that, you know, when we yeah. when we talk about women's empowerment, we have to make sure we don't get into these sort of feminist echo chambers where we're only speaking to ourselves. Because, I mean, I do think that there's, you know, a very strong case for spaces where women are speaking only to themselves. Um, but I think that, you know, to advance the movement in a way that is, you know, really, really massive groundswell that, that, that really starts to move the needle on inequality, we need to have men at the table and we need to have men you know, listen to the stories of successful women, but not only listen to their successes, but listen to their failures, listen to their challenges. I think it's so important. And by the way, you know, it's also important for women to listen to that as well. So I feel like we we shouldn't be talking at each other. We should be speaking with one another. We should be communicating. It's so interesting to hear, you know, different people's perspectives, male and female, um, because they're just because you're a woman doesn't mean you feel one way and we all feel the same way, right? There's so many different ways to to be and it doesn't always, you know, align on gender lines. So I think that it's so important for there to be stories of success of all types of people. And so I want to be able to, you know, hold on to stories of a really amazing Latina woman or, you know, a really amazing Native American man or, you know, a really amazing Chinese American woman. Like, I want to see more stories of success, right? But also to characterize those successes, right. you know, in, in struggle as well, because I feel like, you know, success is, is, is the tree that's, that, that is planted on the ground of failure. So there's so many different failures. And if we're only telling <laughs> success, we are definitely setting everybody else up for failure because I can tell you in the short time I've been running my business, you know, uh, you know I fail multiple times a week. Right. And the goal is to just fail fast and keep moving, fail fast and keep moving and not let failure keep you down. This podcast is brought to you by Venture by AOU, a free course for entrepreneurs. Do you want to know how to overcome entrepreneurial challenges from real life experiences? Well, Venture is an online course designed for young and aspiring entrepreneurs. It features more than 10 AOU entrepreneur leaders who will guide and inspire young entrepreneurs. You can find Venture on venture.aoueducation.com. Once again, venture.aoueducation.com. Venture, a course for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. Now back to our conversation. Right. So as we all know, COVID-19 has impacted a lot of businesses around the world. Did it have any impact on your business and the industry? Absolutely. I mean, the people didn't have impact on, lucky for them. Um, I think, you know, for us, impact in multiple ways. So the first way that we were impacted was um, our supply chain. I mean, you know, earlier last year, in the middle of, well, actually exactly a year ago, I had this very brilliant idea to make sure that our supply chain was diversified. And so I set up um, 
supply chain that had uh, you know manufacturing in China, formulation provision in Italy, um, and my old collection was made in California. And I figured, you know, between you know in North America, Europe, and Asia, you know, I've really created this diversified platform where if anything happens, I'm covered. Well, you know, the big black swan of COVID nineteen, you know, wiped <laughs> the whole planet down. And so there was no level of diversification that could have gotten around that. So right. it was certainly a struggle in the beginning because we were, you know, thankfully running out of inventory, but we didn't have a new collection to launch. Um, what we found was that, you know, I think in, in April and May were really challenging months for us um, in terms of sales. But what mm-hmm. I decided and I, I, you know, I told my investors this as well is, listen, I don't even feel comfortable pushing people to buy lipstick. I don't I don't want to be advertising. I just don't want to do that. I don't want to do it personally. And I don't think the brand should be doing it. What I think we should do is try to figure out moments to spark joy, to radiate joy is kind of what I used to call it. And so, you know, just reach out to customers more, ask them how they're doing, you know, just keep it light. Talk to them, share your stories of your own anxieties you're going through as a mom of three kids at this time. Right. Just be more yourself as opposed to bye, 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 bye. And so that was my perspective. And, I, you know, I like, you know, I like that we were the community that we're building because, you know, I've always said that we are really a women's empowerment mission driven brand first before we are a product company. And we've always said that, you know, our, our strategy in the marketplace is three-pronged, product, content, services. And so I told my investors, listen, I don't, I'm not going to give anybody a sales target this year. I'm not even thinking about sales, but I will try to think about content, how to be thoughtful around content. Right. And how to be supportive around what are the essential services that people need at this time. So, you know, it has been, uh, like I said, April and May were very challenging months. June was, I think, our most successful month since we launched the company. It was a very successful month for us. Um, And July was a better month. So, you know, it's kind of been on it's been on the up and we're hoping it continues to be on the up, you know, in the middle of all this time. Our, our one of our three collections from Italy finally made its way to the U.S. shores. So we launched that last month and, you know, got really great support from from our, our customers and new customers. So that's been, you know, that's been great. That's been great. So we are, you know, we and, you know, like I said, sparking joy. You'll be surprised the number of customers who have DM'd me pictures you know, saying, I was feeling really down today, Aisha, put on this red lipstick, felt great. Um, at some point in the middle of this, we decided to do kind of a giveaway to healthcare workers. So we gave away a lot of lipsticks to healthcare workers just again to spark joy. We had a surgeon who told us she loves wearing red lipstick underneath her mask when she's in surgery. So, you know, I often tell them people, you know, try to make it seem like cosmetics is a, you know, it's a very frivolous purchase i'm like you 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 don't understand um women who wear cosmetics or even men who wear cosmetics if you think that right so essentially from what i'm hearing you say is that um you really focused on the after sales or the after service um from people or your or your um what do we call it your customer base mm-hmm. uh, and really focused on what how they feel about your product have you been able to like collect data from that and see what people actually like, what they engage with more? And, you know, aside from the usual pushing for sales, marketing for this particular product, have you seen like what your customers really enjoy about your products? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, the, one of the most beautiful things about being 
uh, a direct-to-consumer brand is that, you know, you have very direct interaction with your customers. And so um, either customers will tell you, um, they write reviews um, either on social social media or on your website directly. so we've, we've, we've been very fortunate in that regard with, you know, strong, strong reviews of the website, of the products. Um, and then customers tell us, you know, the, the good thing about, again, being a small company is that, you know, when, if you DM me on Instagram, I will respond. And there have been a lot of customers who've said, look, I'm this complexion. I'm looking for a nude. What do you think? Or trying out this, trying out that. So it's really cool to be able to just establish, you know, direct contact with your customers and they, they will ask you questions. So, right. um, yeah, they, and they've been very open and communicative with us over this this period. Wow, that's amazing. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So speaking about turning your passion into purpose, can you share with our listeners how they can define their how they can define their passion and turn it into a purpose? Well, I so I think that the way us I'll tell you the way I did it. Right. Um, so the first thing is you have to separate the two, mm-hmm. um, and this is why I call it an intersection as opposed to overlap, um, because your passion. And your purpose could be completely different things. What you need to figure out is how do you get them to come together? Right. So over over my career and just my life and so many things that have gone on, I have really felt like I want to do something with women who are look who are ambitious, who are looking for success, who are you know, struggling with a lot of things I've struggled with, you know, getting confidence, imposter syndrome, but, you know, kind of showing up and getting that promotion, you know, thinking about empowerment in terms of economic empowerment, right? You know, I'm super, super passionate about women having their own money. Um, I'm really passionate about, you know, equal pay. I'm passionate about so many things that have to do with women. So that's something that, you know, as the years go by, you know, my blood boils for that kind of stuff. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love to cheer on um, women who are doing really well. I love to, if there's a woman who's struggling, I want to figure out how we can support her. Um, I have a very strong tribe of, of strong women myself who support me when I stumble. That's and amazing. so I have, I, have, I have come to see and, and really, you know, honed in on that from when I did African Her Story, when I, I realized that actually this is, I've, I've kind of picked into something that I super enjoy and that other people appreciate. So that's when I, that's when I started to know, okay, this is my purpose. My purpose is to do something around this. Right. Um, but I didn't know what that was. And then passion is really something simple, right? Like I, I didn't want to complicate it. And I think that for so many years, I used to tell people, oh, I'm so jealous when they would say they love their job, they're passionate about their job, they're passionate about what they do. Mm-hmm. I would be so frustrated because I'm like, well, how, what can I do to be passionate about what I do? I don't know what my passion is. I don't know what my passion is. And I think I had built up what a passion is in this very glorified way that it's, you know, God is going to come from the sky and announce to me, um, you know, your passion is. And it doesn't work that way. It's literally getting to very intimate with yourself and trying to figure out what are the things that either really get me super, super giddy and excited or what are the things that make me super angry? Like okay. What really makes what makes me angry? That like What's the thing that I hate? Right. And I knew that I hated injustice. Injustice was something that I really, really hated. Right. And what I really, really loved at the most primal part of it was color. 
mean, I'm sitting in my office right now. It is the most colorful space in my home. I just love pops and pops and pops of color. I love art. I'm an art collector. All my art on my walls are super, super colorful. And so you might be like, okay, well, what does that have to do with anything, right? But then I started to say, if you love being immersed and surrounded in color, what can you do that will be in your passion with color that intersects with your your purpose? That's literally how this started. I was like, okay, well, what allows me to do lots of color? And I was like, well, artwork, but I'm not a painter. I'm not an artist. I'm terrible at that. And literally I thought, makeup. I love makeup. I love lipstick. I love color. And I can play around with color um, in makeup. That's literally how... And then I started it off as an experiment. I mean, Bossy Cosmetics literally started as a, let's just try this, right? This is a design thinking... (laughs) Let's see how it goes. Still thinking that when I'm done with my fellowship, I'm going to have to go get that job anyway, right? Because this is just like fun. Um, And lo and behold, two years, almost two years later, or 18 months later, I'm running a business now that is no longer a side hustle. Wow, that's that's remarkable. So how how would you how would you assess the relevance of your education? You know, the Harvard, Stanford, your background in global finance and your networks uh, from the corporate world in helping you to find your business? Well, I mean, for me, it's everything. Every single dot connects when I look backwards. Do you need, but looking forward, do you need all these things to be where I am today? No, for sure. I can tell anybody that for sure. Does that mean that I regret all the steps that I took? Absolutely not. Um, So, you know, my networks are very broad and very deep, as you said, as a result of the privilege that I have been afforded to have access to some of these educational institutions and, you know, some of these, you know, um, financial institutions that I've been, you know, blessed to work at. So, yeah, and I, I, you know, I, I, I take advantage of all of those privileges and I hope that I, you know, represent them very well and that I, I don't, um, use them to do harm or anything like that and I'm I'm you know in everything you do you're learning and so you know yeah okay one goes to Harvard but that doesn't make you an expert in a lot of things right it's the actual work you know just because I I went to to Harvard doesn't mean that I'm an expert in cosmetics like that is actually experts in cosmetics are are chemists so um and it doesn't make me an expert in marketing right it makes me a general manager who can be a visionary and who can come up with, you know, some insights and, 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 and build a business around those insights and then hire incredibly smart people who are in fact smarter than me in particular subject matter areas, right? That's what a Harvard business school degree gives you. It doesn't say that you can start a business and do everything by yourself. No. I mean, I definitely know every single one of my limitations Mm -hmm. and my goal is to always find, you know, the best in each of those verticals, um, so that when you kind of bring everybody and people who, like, again, there's no point in me hiring somebody who I know more than in a topic, right? right. So I'm trying to hire people who will teach me, but then I'll get out of their way. And as far, oh, the only thing I'll say is, look, this is the vision of the company. This is the DNA. This is the brand voice. You know, this is kind of strategically what we're trying to accomplish. And then you go do your thing because you're excellent at your thing. Right. Right. So help them and then get out of the way. That's that's. That's what all this stuff gives you. It doesn't mean that you can do anything better than anybody else. Right. So speaking of hiring people, tell me about your team. How have you been able to 
build a synergy, um, for lack of a better word? Have you been able to build a chemistry to have everybody align with your vision? Uh, so it's it's interesting. Um, I'm also learning what my vision is. Right. And so I can tell you that from the day I decided to start this company to today, the business has changed so much. Right. And that's the thing about when you are an employee of a startup, you need to be prepared <clears throat> for a lot of things to change very quickly. Right rapid rapid cycles right like i can wake up in the morning and say i'm gonna do this and by afternoon i'm gonna realize actually that's a stupid idea and it's gonna have to change if you're one of those employees who's like oh my god this woman make up your mind i mean if i'm doing it every day that's disruptive but if you need to do something and you need to test it out for six months you know, you, that's not the right i'm not the right person for you to work for because <laughs> i'm still trying to test out what works, what works in the marketplace, yeah. you know, I mean, earlier this year, we, um, we worked with the Stanford's design school and we had two students assigned to us to do um, some design projects for us. And we did a lot of testing where we provided vision, bo um, vision board uh, creation for customers. We did a lot of different things, right, just right. to kind of see what um, women were looking for in terms of services, and, um, you know, if you are somebody who, you know, just can't stand these random ideas coming out of nowhere, this is definitely not the business for you because that's the stuff I love. Because even if I test this vision board idea and nobody thinks it's a good idea, I will learn so much from just the, the discussion with customers, right? And the process of creating it, I will learn a lot. And in the end, we decided not to carry on with the vision boarding, but I learned so much while doing it. And so I look for people who are always curious, you know, that, that have that sort of, they balance that intellectual rigor with, you know, really appreciating data. I'm, I'm just a data, data, data person. I want to see the numbers. I want to see the numbers. And the numbers don't always, I don't always do exactly what the numbers say, but they, they give me a very strong sense of, okay, 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 because the numbers don't lie. So I think like they can really tell you... Guide, yeah. Yeah, because numbers are great in terms, for me at least, in terms of looking at lagging indicators, but then the leading indicators, I think, is where intuition comes. Right. So I, I, I appreciate team members who are like, okay, but this, this is like are tight on the numbers, right? So we did this, we did this, these are the results, this worked, this is why it worked, this, this didn't work, this is why it didn't work, um, or at least this is why we think it didn't work. Now, once you have all that data, then you say, okay, I think we should tweak these things and then see how it, see how it plays. So I, if you are intellectually rigorous, if you are curious, if you obviously love the customer, I mean, if you, if you, if you love the customer, if you love design, you know, I, I like people who are maniacal about details. Um, you know, my product designer is just, she's just everything. I love her. You know, she's, she's, She's so detail-oriented. It's beautiful. Uh, we work so well together. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our suppliers are just top-notch. You know, they, 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 they get what we're trying to accomplish and that we're a small brand, but our goal is to be global. Um, so they're, they're on that journey with us. And so, yeah, I look for people who are, believe in me, right? I mean, last summer I was in Europe scouting out labs and supply partners and... 
you know, I wanted to play with the big boys, but, you know, I don't have big boy money. And so a lot of the people were like, yeah, you're too small. And that's fine. But some people were like, we like you. We like you. All right, let's try. Let's try. So, you know, I appreciate and I, I will be committed to people like that. And, you know, and, and hopefully we will grow together. So, yeah, I look for people who believe in the story, believe in the brand, you know, maniacal about design and detail, love the customer, and, you know, are energetic. Because it takes a lot of energy to run a tiny business. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Aisha, for being vulnerable <laughs> and very honest sure. about your processes and your experience sure, in, the, sure. in, in the industry. Um, sure. It's also great to hear how you've transitioned from the corporate industry into cosmetics and, you know, your journey through that. I mean, it's it's not A to Z exactly, but you know, it's 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 really it's really great that we're able to pick a few gems and 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 not from here from here to there. So, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you, thank you guys for inviting me onto your podcast. I can't wait for it to come out and to hear it, and I really do appreciate it. Right, great, thanks. And that was Aisha, global financier turned entrepreneur, and never looking back. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. You can find us on Spotify, Anchor, and Apple Podcasts for exclusive access to all the gems of knowledge we drop here. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on your preferred platform. This is the AOU Podcast, Entrepreneur Leadership in Africa, Real Stories, Real Experiences. Mm-hmm.